Thank you for those Mother's Day messages and all the messages during open worship and particularly those Mother's Day messages. It's much better than what I could have given. And as you see, my message isn't necessarily a Mother's Day message unless you think I have anger issues toward my mother, and that's a whole other story, (laughs) which I don't. If I were to give, I did think about this, by the way, if I were to give a Mother's Day and Father's Day message, my Mother's Day message would be entitled, Because I Said So, and then when we got to June, my Father's Day message would be, Go Ask Your Mom. So, (laughs) So as a kid, and I will say um, that I'm pretty sure my mother listens to these podcasts religiously because that's what mothers do, and they tell you that she liked it, even though it may not have been a good one. So, Mom, if you're listening, and I know you will be, this story that I'm about to tell actually did happen, and it was your can of hairspray. So um, (laughs) this will make sense in the next few minutes. We lived next door in Dublin, Indiana, back in the early 70s, to a family named the Thompsons, wonderful family, played with them every day, every afternoon after school. And they had a trash barrel, a 55-gallon drum, where they would burn their trash basically every night, about every other night. So one day, we, I, me, and the other kids that we were hanging around, we decided to toss in a can of hairspray to see what would happen, because we had heard if you put it in there, things blow up. And I was at the age where I like to see things blow up. So we tossed it in. Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. So then began the usual, well, you go look, well, you go look, well, you go look. Well, I was never one to shy away from exploring, so I creeped up to the edge of the 55-gallon drum, and about that time, a, thankfully, a small boom occurred. Now, thankfully, it only singed my eyebrows, and thankfully... My mom happened to be standing at the kitchen sink, facing out, looking the window when I walked in, and she said, everything okay? Things are fine, Mom, as I went to the bathroom and looked at my eyebrows and thought, what do I do with all these little curly things now? (laughs) So that's the story, Mom. It was your can of hairspray. I owe you one. Now, it could have been a lot worse that day. And this is the point, not that I put hairspray and not that I was really a precocious and not a very wise young boy. But thankfully, I was only singed. It's never good when something blows up in your face. And it's never smart to add an accelerant to something that has the potential to blow up in your face. This is my lead-in to the potential of anger. It's an emotion that sometimes singes us and at other times has blown up in our face. It's also an emotion that certainly can act as an accelerant to an already smoldering fire. Now, last week, my prepared message focused on Jesus' words in John 10.10, I've come to give you life and have it abundantly, life to the fullness. And this is the promise of Jesus for those that choose to walk in the way of Jesus. It's a life of vitality, a life of energy, a life of someone who is on the way to flourishing and living this life of energized vitality. And as part of that message, I identified four factors that have the potential to, if you will, suck the life right out of us, or to get in the way of experiencing this fullness. And I identified these as anger, anxiousness, addiction, and apathy. Now, not an exhaustive list, as I said, and I wanted to focus on each one of those. And maybe it's because, for me, if I were to end today 
and walk away, and not that I am, but if I were to stop today pastoring, if I have done anything well, I hope I could have helped each of you discern what does it mean to live life to the full. To live well. To live a life that is abundant. And to remove as many obstacles and blocks from that that you could. So let's talk about anger. In a recent Time Magazine article, there's an author by the name of Rabbi David Wolpe. He had this to say. Americans are angry. They're angry about school shootings and taxes and mistreatment and undeserved privilege and discrimination in government. There are differences between groups, but as a recent Esquire NBC survey finds, he writes, the overall presence of rage is clear. The November survey of more than 3,000 American adults found that at about half are angrier today than they were a year ago. And then he adds this assessment. Angry people are poor communicators and even worse listeners. Their empathy is foreshortened and they have trouble imagining the other's point of view. It makes people less healthy and when both parties are angry, fewer are likely to find middle ground. If the only way people feel they'll be heard is when they are angry, then our public discourse will be an arena for shouting past one another. I mentioned last week my experience of watching a car chase another car down the bypass around High Point, and as road rage began to unfold, and all the time I'm thinking this is not going to end well, um, thanks to the prevalence of camera phones, good or bad or indifferent, we get front row seats to fights breaking out on airplanes. It's almost become the norm. It's kind of a paraphrase on the old joke. I went to a fight, and an airline flight broke out. So there's just more and more in that. Anger is this emotion. Anger is an emotion that sometimes is out of control. Anger is an emotion that sometimes gets into our fight-or-flight kind of mode, and we immediately react. Now, it needs to be said. It needs to be acknowledged that there are also times that anger can lead to good. When we get angry at injustice or maybe our personal property or our personal boundaries have been violated, and anger leads to action. Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, there's a story where Jesus is angry. The religious officials are more concerned about the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath than they were about the man who, had, who Jesus actually healed, a man with a withered hand. And Jesus was angry that their pretentious, exclusive, legalistic religion was more important than having compassion on a man who was vulnerable and in need of help and compassion. So in this instance, anger channeled properly and with discernment can and often does lead to proper action. I want to recommend something if you are inclined to so do it. There's a book that just came out written by Gandhi's son. I can't pronounce his first name, A-R-U-N, last name is Gandhi. He opened up the, uh, the Gandhi Institute for Nonviolence, and he just put this book out, and it's entitled The Gift of Anger, which intrigued me. And he has this to say, and he's actually quoting his grandfather. When we channel electricity intelligently, we can use it to improve our life, but if we abuse it, we could die. So it is with electricity, we must learn to use anger wisely for the good of humanity. And then he adds this, I didn't want my anger to short-circuit my life or anyone else's, but how could I make it a spark for change? So I think it has to be said and acknowledged that yes, there are times when anger can be a spark for change and for good, but this is where discernment comes in. 
Now, much like the trash barrel, I referenced at the beginning, anger can serve a good purpose, or it can blow up in our face, and understanding it, I think, is important. The biggest realization I ever had about anger was this, which was so important to me. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary feeling. It comes out of three or at least four areas, fear, frustration, hurt, or some combination of the three. For example, someone says something harsh to us, we feel hurt, and then we feel anger. When we strip the word anger down to its deepest level, we come upon simply this, unfulfilled expectations. Frustration is not receiving what we had expected from other people or other circumstances, so we're frustrated, sometimes we're hurt, the expectations aren't there, and then we get angry. And so even today, people seem hurt. More than that, they seem frustrated and fearful. They have unfulfilled expectations and they're angry. And it gets complicated when we engage in conversation with each other and we do it from an already frustrated or fearful place and then we end up hurting each other's feelings in the process. And we layer anger upon anger and we upon anger. We stuff it down until it just explodes in conversation or in interactions or it comes out sometimes as cynicism, sarcasm, or as I like to say, the preferred choice of most people, particularly church people, which is passive aggressiveness. Because for the most part, we like to be nice, and it's hard to be honest, and it's hard to have a yes and a no, and it's hard to talk about our hurt feelings. So the answer is not to push down our anger, but to be present to ourselves in such a way that we're able to process our anger, to deal with it in a timely manner. That's probably why Paul wrote this, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, what I like about that is Paul affirms the fact that we will get angry. It's almost as if he encourages it, but in the same breath he says, but you want to deal with it. To not let it linger, to not let it root itself in our soul where it comes back as bitterness, rage, resentment, sometimes even as violence or depression. Deal with it daily. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't keep carrying anger over to the next day and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. And and if we have led an angry life, I even think Paul advises us to deal with our anger before the sun sets on our life. I don't know if that's what he actually meant, but I like that. In other words, do I really want to spend my remaining years as an angry, frustrated person? How much energy and life am I willing to give up for that cause? Rather than channel it towards something constructive, towards something that can can spark solutions, can generate, to use that electricity image, generate something meaningful. Author Henry Nauman offers suggestions as a way to process our anger Let me just offer a few of these, because I like what he has to say. Allow your angry feelings to come to your awareness. Have a careful look at them. Don't deny them, don't suppress them, but let them teach you. One person actually even suggested keep an anger journal. Every time you get angry, write down that moment. I don't keep a journal per se. There's just not enough journals in the world to keep track of it, but I don't keep a journal. But there are times when I have come home and I drop something out of the car and I slam the door, and in that moment I stop. And I say, what's that all about? It's got nothing to do with the door. It's got nothing to do with what I drop. I can usually trace it back to something that I have felt hurt. I have felt frustrated. Sometimes I have felt betrayed. There have been unfulfilled expectations. And I have kept it down. I haven't processed it. And all of a sudden it comes up. And unfortunately, the next person in my path is going to get it. 
Now, I am not a reactionary person. I am probably something even worse. I am a brooder, which means I brood. I get quiet. I act sullen. And whenever Linda asks me what's going on, I say, I'm fine. I'm fine, which I'm not fine. But it just sucks the life right out of everything. Don't hesitate to talk about angry feelings when they're related to very small or seemingly insignificant issues. When you don't deal with it on small issues, how will we ever be able to deal with it in a crisis? Anger can have good reasons. Talk to someone about it. If that person feels that your anger is unrealistic or disproportionate, then you and they can have a closer look at what made you respond so strongly. And then this, this is the hard one even for me. On a deeper level, you might wonder how much of your anger has to do with ego inflation. Anger often reveals how you feel and think about yourself and how important you have made your own ideas and insight. When God becomes again the center and when you put yourself with all your weaknesses in front of Him, you might be able to take some distance and allow your anger to ebb away and to pray again. Now those are just some simple thoughts from Henry Nouwen, but let's just let's wind up with this. Let's keep it even more simple. The book of James that Dan read for us this morning. Here's what James says. Understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Two things we're slow on, one thing we're quick on. Be quick to listen. Let it be our first act. Listening to understand. Listening to hear. Listening that communicates respect. Listening to try to gather as much information as possible. Listening without trying to respond first to correct the other person. My biggest mistake when my anger gets out of control is I have chosen not to listen. I'm only listening so I can come up with what I have to say. I'm not listening because I really don't want to understand. James says, let's be quick to listen. And then he adds this, and let us be slow to speak. Choose one's words carefully, not as defensive, not as reactionary. Try to de-escalate. Don't seek to demean. And then he adds this, and then be slow to anger. Reflect. Pray. Journal. You and I have one of the greatest gifts that probably no other species has. Animals don't really have them. I know they don't. We may think they do, but they don't. It's called self-awareness. We can be self-aware of what we're thinking and feeling and experiencing. And when we're slow to anger, when we're slow to speak, we offer that space. Ecclesiastes says this, Do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. In other words, the more I react, the more it just lodges right here, and it stays there, and it roots itself in my life. And I can become an angry person. I can become a depressed person. I, be, I can become a very bitter, sad person. Or I can become a person with energy. I can become a person that seeks to find whatever common good can exist. I become a person that takes whatever I feel is not right, whatever provokes that, and begin to think about, so what can we do to make it right? To speed up our listening to slow down our speaking, and to slow down our getting angry. Now, here's a test. How many of you in here of this message made you angry? I don't know. 
Maybe some, maybe not. I was scared half to death to give this message. Well, thank you, Mona. In many ways, I am because it's almost as if in our culture today, I run into people who feel they're entitled to it, to be angry. And what I want to invite us to is to be in conversation with one another, to be in conversation with ourself, to be in conversation with God, but to most of all, to be so aware, bless you, to be so aware so that anything we can do to remove obstacles to our living fully and to living well and to living right, we can remove. I would be less than honest if I said I'd never gotten angry in my life. I was a very reactive person at one time, very reactive. And I was the kind of one as a kid who always took his ball and went home, literally. If I didn't like the way things were going out on the playground, if I didn't like the way things were going in the backyard, I just took my ball and went home. I carried that into adulthood. If it didn't go my way, I took my ball and went home. If I didn't like what people said to me, I just took my ball and went home. And I did that, and I did that till I realized I lacked two things in my life because of that, peace and good judgment. And I began to ask myself, how can I get back to a place of living with a sense of peace and good judgment? And it's been a journey. It's been a hard journey. Because I love a good zinger more than anybody else. But good zingers have done one thing to me. It's like that spray can. They've often singed my life and blown up in my face. And thankfully yet, it hasn't injured me. And I'm just praying that I can continue to keep it that way. What do you hear James saying to you? Brother James in the Bible, what do you hear Paul saying to you? Most of all, what do you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this? And I'd love to be in conversation with you if I can help, if we can help each other.